It's been eight months since the pilot launch of e-rupee by the Reserve Bank of India. Though the digital currency is yet to gain the popularity of UPI in India, it is garnering a lot of attention in the financial world. Hi, you're listening to On Manorama's Explainer podcast, Newsbreak, a weekly show that breaks down news in a clutter-free manner. This is Harita Benjamin. And today we shall look at one of RBI's prestigious projects, the central bank digital currency and its wholesale and retail versions. Today we have with us digital lending and fintech expert, Mr. Parijit Garg, to decode this new form of digital currency for us. Welcome to the show, Mr. Garg. Thank you very much, Harita. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. So uh, let's start with the most basic question. What exactly is the central bank digital currency? And could you also perhaps differentiate between the two types of CBDC, that is the wholesale and retail versions? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So central bank digital currency, as the phrase itself explained, that this is digital currency issued by central bank and that's why the name that has been given to this is e-rupee now if you have to break it down the currency of our country is rupee right and this has been there for several decades now the idea is that whatever we carry in our wallet today is a currency note or a currency coin right can we visualize a digital version of that and that can be called as a token which is nothing but like a long digit of alphanumeric hash codes that translate this currency note the serial number of a currency note into a virtual token which you are carrying instead of a physical wallet that you carry either in your purse or in your and pocket you carry that on your mobile device in within an app that is essentially what this digital currency is so if you carry a 2000 500 rupee note for example which has a serial number one two three four five six seven when you translate that into a cbdc equivalent you still carry a 500 rupee token which will have maybe ABC123 hash as the equivalent virtual token for it. So that is what essentially e-rupee would mean. And this has two different versions, like you said. One is CBDC retail or e-rupee retail. And second is e-rupee wholesale. Now, if I have to break it down, retail typically would mean people like you and me. If I owe you 10 rupees today, I can have multiple options to transfer that money to you. We meet in person, I hand over a 10 rupee note to you. I could also hand over two 5 rupees note to you. I can hand over 10 1 rupee coins to you. Now, if I have to look at it from a e-rupee retail version, then I can do exactly the same thing that I can transfer a virtual token of 10 rupee to you or I can transact 
10 1 rupee token to you. So that is what e-rupee retail mean, which is people like you and me who are transacting. Instead of a cash transaction, we can do a digital transaction sitting in different cities without using any of the other banking payment systems that are available today. And we'll talk more about it uh, as we go along. Right. And this can be also used in when I'm actually going to a shop where suppose I have a 10 rupee note, but my, I have to pay him 7 rupees. So I can pay a 7 rupee token or 10 rupee token to that person because I don't have any other token. And that person can return me 3 1 rupee tokens back to me, which is okay. essentially 3 1 rupee coins. So that is how uh, CBDC retail would operate. All right. So now, it has CBDC, the same denominations which uh, you know normal rupee has. Absolutely. So it is right. it is actually a one-to-one -one comparison of every node that is available today and every coin that is available today. So, it, so it's so just a fiat money uh, uh, you know guaranteed by the central bank, right? Absolutely. So it's yeah. it's essentially like if I like more technical, it's a legal tender, right? If you right. actually pick exactly. up a note today. It says that this is a legal tender and it has a signature of uh, governor of RBI, uh, which is the central bank in India. So similarly, this would have exactly the same context, same text, same visual colors. It's just that instead of you having a paper money in your hand, mm -hmm. it is just like an image that you carry within your app. And I think perhaps, uh, you know, the, the issue of the velocity of money and, you know, tone notes and uh, things like that would be eliminated because of uh, digital currency, right? That is also a possibility. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a like, uh, if we have to look at why uh, this is being talked about today, that is one big reason that okay. uh, today when we look at notes, uh, like typically if a 10 rupee note has to be printed by RBI, they're spending nearly one rupee to print it. So yes, essentially yeah. think about it that government is losing one rupee to print every 10 rupee note, mm -hmm. right? But but the value of that note is 10 rupees still, right? Correct. Yeah. So so uh, as, a, as a country, we are spending nearly 5,000 crores, uh, government is spending 5,000 crores to print new currencies. And as you rightly said, because it's paper, it can get wet, it can get torn, it can get stolen, it can get uh, spoiled, right? Uh, it can get soiled because of any other reason. We have seen people writing on it. So there are many such challenges which happen. And, and obviously with the use, it will also deteriorate because it's still paper. Right. right. Whereas like if you look at it from a virtual standpoint, it it, it has like uh, life which is infinite practically. Right. So okay. it cannot be soiled. It cannot be torn. So, so the value that country saves as an economy is huge. And that is the primary reason why a central bank like RBI or government of India is thinking about uh, this e-rupee concept instead of like the physical rupee concept. Correct. All right. So what about uh, CBDC wholesale? Is it, uh, you know, uh, does it go by the same concept? Does it have denominations? How does it work? So principally, the concept is exactly the same that we are talking about. Same set of denomination, uh, 1 rupee, 50 paisa coins, 1 rupee, 2 rupee, 5 rupee, 10 rupee. 20, 50, 100, 200, and 500 rupee notes, right? So that's essentially the same structure. Okay. The main difference between retail and wholesale is the uh, users. So in retail, the user is people like you and me, or like you, I am going to a shopkeeper and doing a transaction. So that's retail, uh, which could usually be small denominations. When we're talking about wholesale, it is 
talking about institution to institution. So, for example, Bank A transferring money to Bank B or Bank okay. A transferring money to RBI or India transferring money or India transacting with, say, uh, United Ameri uh, Arab Emirates or in India transacting with US. So if we have to transact today, like if I look at wholesale, we convert rupee into dollars and that is what is deposited with a foreign country uh, if there is a inter-country uh, transaction. Right. Now, if we are talking about that two countries can transact in rupees, then essentially so much of rupee transaction need to happen. Okay. Now, that would mean like physical printing, physical transfers, physical storage, which is again a cost for both sides. So if this can be translated into a very secure digital version, which can store maybe millions of e-rupee in a fraction of cost, it again saves uh, money for world economy. So basically the wholesale is more institution to institution uh, and cross-border transaction. Retail is within the domestic market. I and you transacting or I transacting for any shopping purposes. That is what retail means. All right. So I think uh, you've largely answered my next question about the motivation of the RBI while uh, launching the central bank digital currency or the rupee. But is there uh, anything more to it than what we have discussed? And uh, my uh, another question is, why would an ordinary consumer like you or me switch from, uh, you know, the very comfortable means of transacting via UPI to the e-rupee? And is it possible that the two forms, two mediums, that is UPI and e-rupee, uh, can they coexist? Absolutely. So uh, let me answer the second question first and then I'll go to the other one. Yeah. So uh, UPI has been a great success for India and, and we have seen millions of Indians getting benefited with a concept like UPI. Uh, now, the primary difference between UPI and e-rupee is that UPI like many other products is a payment system so essentially it requires bank accounts on either side and we're transacting within the bank accounts so for example if you have a bank account with x bank and i have bank account with y bank then our bank accounts should have that kind of balance for us to transfer this money right and they have to be enabled or integrated or available on upi as a payment mechanism and this is very similar to what we use as NEFT, RTGS, IMPS which are also payment systems to transfer money between two different bank accounts. Right. When we do tech talk about e-rupee, e-rupee principally is equivalent to cash exchange. When I exchange cash with say my grandmother, she may not have any bank account but she still is in position of, say, 20,000 rupees, which I have handed over to her. Now, if I assume that she is digitally savvy and she can hold like a bank uh, or a, say, maybe let me take example of my maid. She does not have bank account, but she has a smartphone and she's able to handle that smartphone today, right? Okay. So I can transfer her wage on a monthly basis instead of handing over the cash which can potentially get stolen, which can potentially get lost, get misused into a virtual account. And the issue today is that if it is transferred virtually over UPI, she needs to have a bank account. If she does not have, then I can't use any virtual or digital means today. But with eRupee, I can transfer it 
she will have it almost like cash but instead of carrying in her purse she is carrying it in her mobile and then she can go to a shop purchase her grocery and if the shopkeeper is also accepting e rupee she can just transact that money so there is no issue of change there is no issue of getting it lost and she is able to still use money digitally without having a bank account so that is what e rupee ideally uh, in retail world translates to are okay. we there maybe not but but uh, in my opinion both can coexist all right so uh, but what are the conditions which are required for you know uh, transacting in e rupee in the first place uh, don't we require a sim card and you know bank account and things like that uh, what are the conditions which are required for accessing e rupee so uh, from a condition standpoint yes of course i do need um, a smartphone uh, yeah. i need uh, and uh, like obviously that has to have internet connection Hmm. uh so that i can actually transact from there so that is uh, the primary need today i don't necessarily need uh, a bank account uh for transacting on e rupee but for loading the first time then typically that loading has to happen from a bank account because the money yes. is actually yeah. stored in the bank account right so 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 if i take a green example of my house help she may not be able to initiate a e rupee uh a transaction on her own but because i have my bank account i can transfer some of my money from my bank account into e rupee hmm. and then i can enable her with e rupee on her wallet and from there then she can become a user of e rupee but a person who does not have a bank account today cannot start with e rupee on themselves right all right so uh yeah uh, so over to our next question on what was the motivation of rbi while launching the central bank digital currency especially since upi is such a huge success in india right so so there are multiple motivations one we spoke about the cost around yeah. printing money and managing money so i think that's one motivation second motivation is to bring different kind of users who are one uh, not necessarily uh, enabled with bank accounts even though in india because of jandhan maybe we have a very high penetration of um, bank accounts yes, but still yeah. the large uh, part of our economy is still transacting in cash and there could be many reasons why they transact in cash right so can we uh, make them also digitally uh, transactable and not necessarily link it to a bank account so that's the second possibility where you can have more financial inclusion more digital inclusion without necessarily pushing people to get into a bank account uh, mechanism or using a payment mechanism they can still uh, leverage the benefit of a cash transaction and like as we all know the typical benefit in a cash transaction is this anonymity that yeah. when i hand over that cash there's no trail where that money went right the first time i withdrew like a, a note from an atm machine that is where the system knows that this was uh, taken by say parijat garg yes but yeah. from there on how that has been handed over across 10 different people is something that is lost in translation all right so that's so, the similar advantage that cbdc retail is expected to offer 
All right. So currently it does not offer that because you need to provide details like, you know, your SIM card and name and bank account, etc. But uh, over the run, when transactions are, uh, you know, uh, on a larger scale, this condition of anonymity might come in as useful. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And that is that is one of the primary uh, objectives of CBDC. All right. So uh, now another thing which experts are pointing out is that, you know, e-rupee could be RBI's counter to uh, cryptocurrency and the illicit trading which might be going on. So is it uh, yeah. is it true and uh, is it because uh, they are based on blockchain technology or what is the reason for this comparison? So I think essentially both cryptocurrency, as you popularly known as through Bitcoin and similar terms. Yes. And CBDC both are essentially operating on the core technology called blockchain. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons why, and not just India, but several countries across the globe are experimenting with CBDC as a concept is that the private currencies or these cryptocurrencies are privately managed and it's in the hands of people who may may not have right intentions. That's point number one. Yes. Point number two is that these do not have any uh, intrinsic value. They are actually relatable to uh, like a actual currency actual fiat currency so for example let's say today um if i have one gram of gold or 10 gram of gold i say that's value worth sixty thousand rupees because that's the price of the gold today right in the market which is assessed by the market as a whole Correct. similarly in bitcoin that is how the pricing gets associated right whereas like if we talk about cbdc one it is not decentralized across private tiers, but it's centralized by a government authority, a central bank, which has a huge um, responsibility and a huge reputation, not just in the country, but across the globe. So, so there is a reputation that this is uh, more robust and more, uh, more real money. And the second thing is that this is one-to-one -one comparison. So essentially, if I have one e-rupee, one rupee, uh, one e-rupee token, that's exactly equivalent to a physical cash uh, node that I would have. There is no deviation. There is no volatility associated with it. So, uh, so it gives a lot more comfort to anyone transacting. So we're taking the benefits of what cryptocurrency could have offered by creating a virtual transaction mechanism. Uh, and anonymity, but bringing in the robustness of central bank, bringing in the stability of uh, fiat currency, bringing in that one-to-one uh, uh, -one relatability to the physical cash. So that is what is being uh, imagined. And it is still in early days. I, I can't really say that we have uh, achieved a huge uh, success in CBDC across the globe. Uh, virtual currencies have been more popular in nature. But CBDC is trying to sort of create like a more robust government or like a, uh, a central Secure, bank approved yeah. mechanism around it. Yes. All right. So uh, now another aspect which comes to mind is uh, with respect to transaction cost. Now, UPI players like uh, PhonePay, GPay, etc., they're not uh, charging a transaction fee currently, but we know that there is a transaction cost involved and it's only because right. of the restrictions that they're not charging it on the users. So uh, does transacting in e-rupee involve a transaction cost as well? And how does it fare in comparison uh, to UPI? 
So, so of course, there will be a transaction cost. I think nothing goes without uh, yeah. an inherent cost. Right. Um, it will be early days for us to do comparisons because CBDC is still, um, uh, like in terms of volume, a very small fraction of what UPI uh, volumes are. Yeah. And um, the uh, principal thought here is that in UPI, because there are multi-parties involved in terms of that there is uh, NPCI, which is operating UPI, uh, then there are banks on both sides of the sender and the receiver. Then there are apps on both sides. Uh, maybe I'm transacting from Google Pay and you're receiving it in your phone pay. So there are multiple parties involved and the money. Uh, so the transaction actually goes around is five, six different hops to reach yes. uh, or reflect in your transaction. right? So there's a different kind of architectural structure there which uh, transacts this money. When we look at e-rupee, it is it is primarily being driven by uh, Reserve Bank of India, which is a central bank. They've created like a central structure. Of course, that also has a cost. Um, and these costs really can be comparable when we have significant volume to uh, to enable that. But what we can definitely say is that this cost is a fraction of what like a physical note printing or management requires today. And that is the primary motivation that everyone looks at of replacement or at least, uh, if not full replacement, at least a significant replacement of physical cash movement or usage by the citizens of the country. All right. So you were just speaking about the volume and, you know, how uh, that's going to determine how uh, the costs are going to play out. So uh, from what I read, uh, as of uh, March 1st, 2023, the total e-rupee retail transactions stood at rupees 10 crore. So is this a promising start, uh, you know, compared if you're comparing it to, say, other countries or uh, UPI? It is, it is. And yeah. uh, so UPI and uh, eRupee again, um, UPI is more of a payment system which is built on banking environment. Yeah. So the scale up is much easier relatively as compared to eRupee because eRupee is a fundamental shift in the wave that we imagine currency and currencies have been exactly. uh, yeah. in use for say 4,000, 5,000 years in the humanity, right? Um, so it is a fundamental shift. Uh, there are lot of unseen or unforeseen risks that uh, central bank or any uh, implementation body may not be able to imagine. So so it is not that uh, it cannot be scaled to a large extent. It is that it is a conscious effort by a regulator to roll it out in small chunks. So even today, if any user tries to download a, a digital rupee or e-rupee app, and start an, uh, uh, their own account, it may not be available to everyone. Every bank which is participating in this ecosystem is rolling it out to select users. And the primary reason is that they want to do it in a controlled environment. They want to see the behavior. They want to you see the risks, any fraudulent elements that may come in and put checks and balances to make sure that it is safe enough. Because uh, unlike UPI, where if I transact something and something goes wrong, a bank can transfer the money because the money is still lying in some other bank account yes, and it is yeah. traceable. But right. in case of e-rupee, if this actually goes as a cash amount from X person to Y, now that person can potentially use it to transfer it to someone else. So it becomes like if we are uh, honoring the, the idea of anonymity, then that transaction cannot be traced and you can't recover that money if that money gets transferred, right? So if I if I actually give 
instead of uh, 500 rupees, 1000 rupees to someone, I can't really claim that money back or I can't claim the exact note back. It's very difficult for me to trace and even I may not remember what that um, uh, serial number of that note was. So okay. so it's it's almost that kind of a risk that can potentially come in. And that's why I think everyone is very careful in terms of how to roll out this process. Every country, in fact, like if you look at globally, um, I think about um, like hundreds of countries which are experimenting CBDC yep. uh, equivalent in their own countries. There are a few countries which have gone live with them, like say, for example, Jamaica, Nigeria. Um, these countries have gone live. There are several in the pilot stage and the pilot stages run for several years. China okay. has been running this pilot stage for almost, uh, I think, uh, seven, eight years now. They have rolled out to 261 million users, um, uh, citizens within China who are using E1, which is equivalent of E-RUP there. Right. So, but they're still in the pilot phase. They want to make sure that uh, all different kind of risks are covered before it becomes uh, widely available. All right. So what about India's plan? Uh, is it planning to roll it out uh, soon from the pilot stage or uh, would it take a few years? I think RBI has still not kind of uh, announced any dates as such. But yeah. I think it's it's monitoring this on a quarterly basis and gradually it's opening up different use cases, uh, different um, uh, with different banks and with different kind of customer segments. Um, like just going by the experiences of other large countries and other large economies, I would expect that it might take another four or five years to have like a very large scale usage in the retail world. In right. the wholesale world, because it's, it's still within institutions, it's still cross-border, the pickup there could be much uh, faster, much quicker. And there we can expect like large volumes to come in. But in case of the retail users, it may take uh, maybe that kind of time frame. All right. So uh, now moving on to another question. Experts have suggested that, you know, CBDC could be uh, one area where uh, you could focus uh, your, you know, money on one specific sector. For example, like if you're using it for providing loans or grants, you can ensure that it is spent only on the original uh, intent. Uh, for example, like say food stamps or, you know, things like that. So is this a possibility uh, when it comes to Europe? It can. So essentially, say once once it is coming into a digital wallet, there yep. could be use cases that can come in. The regulator may not enforce such use cases, but but there could be applications. Like so, for example, today when I do UPI transaction, my bank account does not limit how I can use that UPI money. Exactly. Yeah. But if I am on a loan app, that can put restrictions in terms of how I can use the money that is coming over UPI for a particular type of purchase. So I would say that's the application which would constrain how I can use the money. So similar for that, e-rupee can also have applications that will come in which can put in these kind of restrictions where, let's say, for example, uh, an employer loads the e-rupee wallet with certain amount and that can be used only for uh, certain kind of purchases, maybe only for food or only for a specific type of uh, spending. But that will be controlled by the application that I use at the front end or on my mobile app, not like the primary digital wallet of the bank or of the central bank. All right. So uh, now moving on to my final question. So if you were to list some of the disadvantages of the e rupee or the CBDC, what would it be? So um, I think one 
piece would be that as we move along, and I'm talking more about CBTC retail because that is what I think most of us get affected by. Yeah. Is that as we, uh, as the world moves toward uh, more uh, bank accounts, and we uh, like most of the citizens get covered through a banking world, which is what is ideally desirable because there are several other benefits of becoming bankable. Then um, I would expect most citizens can use the existing payment systems uh, which are available uh, or which may evolve. So the utility of eRupee would have a certain limitations because of, like globally everyone wants to move away from pure cash transaction to a bank account enabled transaction so there would be one such constraint that i see in erupi the second piece is the anonymity piece which cash today delivers um, we are still not very clear because of this pilot phase how anonymity would be uh, maintained for people uh, who really want to be anonymous in their transaction uh, because there is still a, a mobile app that is being used to transfer even if it is changing hands is still uh, changing hands in virtual form so someone uh, potentially can track um, so how how would that mechanism work it's still not very clear and uh, different experts have different opinion but but we don't have a clear answer around it the oh. third aspect is that um, because it's still virtual, it's still on the app. Could there be cybersecurity risk where, like, someone could hack into my uh, digital wallet app and steal yes. the money? Like, in case yes. of banking or UPI, there are multiple layers of security. Here, it's it's actually virtual cash. So, if it gets stolen, like, how do I recover that money? What would be the mechanisms to protect my own money? And the fourth most important element from a consumer standpoint is like, say today if my money is putting is is residing in my bank account and I can use UPI, I'm earning interest on it, right? But it because this is like cash, like legal tender. If I am having two thousand rupees in my digital wallet as e rupee, I don't earn any interest. So if it is lying around for one year still it does not earn any interest even though it is digital in nature so yeah. that's something that a consumer needs to really think about uh, whenever they're using e-rupee so if they are not uh, going to use that in the near future it's better to transfer it back to your bank account and then yeah. reload your digital wallet whenever you are on the run so so i think those are like few aspects that one need to think about whenever uh, they go on adopting need to e think about the trade-off and the opportunity cost while you know deciding between uh digital transactions right absolutely yeah all right so uh with this we come to the end of today's episode thanks a lot mr garg for joining us uh, i think it was a very good and informative session we hope to have you back on the show for more explainers in future sure it's, it's my pleasure and i hope that we were able to educate and uh, make more people aware about this new concept and a very exciting concept of erp all right. So this is On Manorama's News Break, an explainer podcast, which is produced by me, Harita Benjamin, with technical production by Idea Brew Studios. It comes out every week and is available on all podcast platforms. So do follow onmanorama.com for more updates.